Bright Adventures, everybody. I'm Melissa Bontek, and welcome to episode 73 of Books Cubed, the show right chat with authors you should be reading. It is Thursday, August 13th, 2020, and we're going to jump right into this week's show. I don't have a lot to say after talking way too much last week, and this week I am so excited to bring you an interview with USA Today bestselling author Zara Keene. We're going to get right to it. Today I have got Sarah Keene on the show, and I hope I said that right. Yes. Okay, good. Because <laughs> I'm terrible with names. And uh, I'm going to read her bio real quick. And uh, it's on my phone, or it was on my phone. Um, uh, nope, you know what? That's something else that was on my phone that I was going to talk to her about. So I'm going to read from her, <laughs> her website here. USA Today, best-selling author Zara King grew up in Dublin, Ireland, but spent her summers in a small town very similar to the fictional Ballybeck. Yes. That right? <laughs> and Smuggler's Cove in the Movie Club Mystery Series, which is right what we're going to be talking about today. She currently lives in Switzerland with her family. And when she's not writing, she loves knitting, running, unplugged gaming, and adding to her insanely large lipstick collection. <laughs> it must be really hard with face masks and lipstick. I mean, that, that yes. was my... Yes. My, my yes. niece is a Mary Kay consultant, and I just think, all these great lipsticks she's got, and everybody's wearing masks. Oh, man. So we're, we're, we're talking today about her mystery, her movie club mystery series. And I love the description. In the books, there's this theater that's a cafe, that's been turned into a cafe. And I, I, I want to make sure I ask you more about that, if that is based on something that's real, because I think that's just um, fantastic. So the first book in the series is Dial P for Poison. And I'm going to read right. the description. Uh, my career in the San Francisco PD ended the day I arrested my husband. Maggie Doyle gives her cheating ex and crumbling career in the San Francisco PD the proverbial middle finger and moves to the Wild West of Ireland. Lured by her aunt's promise of a restful Irish vacation, Maggie agrees to help out at the movie theater cafe in exchange for bed and board. Things are looking up until the most hated woman on Whisper Island is poisoned at the cafe. With her aunt as the prime suspect, Maggie and her rock-hard muffins are hurled into the murder investigation with the help of her UFO enthusiast friend, a nun, and a feral puppy. Maggie's determined to clear her aunt's name. Can she, can she catch the murderer before they strike again? Or will her, will her terrible baking skills burn down the cafe first? And it's, <laughs> this book is, is fun. Uh, it's so much fun. And, and I love that, like I said a couple of minutes ago, I love that the Ants Cafe is inside a movie theater. Yeah. I mean, how, how did this whole, how did the idea for this series come about? Uh, the town in which my grandparents lived when I was growing up had a, it, it used to have a movie theater there or it, it, a cinema film theater as they would have called it. Um, and at the time that I was a kid, it was boarded up and you had like this sort of, the sign was sort of, hanging to the side and my cousin and I used to peek in the boards and sort of imagine what it would have looked like back in the day when it was an actual film theater movie theater um, and so on and when I was coming up with the idea of the series my mother is American although her parents were Irish so she was first generation American and then moved back to Ireland as an adult 
so I had both the the American connection and the Irish connection and I thought you know how cool would it be if this American moved to Ireland and she was working in a movie themed cafe that her her aunt had created by renovating an old uh, movie theater like the one in my uh, grandparents town and the fact that it's called the movie theater cafe is because my main character's mother sent a sign sent a very nice sign to the aunt when she was opening her cafe and instead of it being like cinema it was movie theater and the aunt just rolled with it and that's kind of how the whole thing started yeah because in yeah. ireland it wouldn't be called movie it would be it called, would be called film yeah called although film. that is changing more and more as as people use more american terms so movie film but yeah generally speaking and particularly in that generation it would have been film yeah uh, okay, so you've got this cozy series. And there's six books, right? There are six books at the moment, yes. Are you planning on writing more? I do. Okay, good, 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 good. And so uh, normally in cozies, and I write cozies too at the moment, um, normally in cozies in like the first chapter, and you hear this all the time, you have to have the murder in the first chapter or you're going to lose your audience. And I think I read... I think it's like about the 20% mark yeah. when the killer, I, I was trying to, I was trying to look and see, I think it was 20% mark. It's and pretty much reading, exactly I com- that. <laughs> I completely forgot that it was a cozy because I got okay. so into these crazy people that live in this little island off of Ireland. And I actually really liked that better than the murder taking place first because I knew all the characters. So when the murder happens, I'm thinking, who is the killer? <laughs> and so I've got ideas of my own who the killer would be as I'm reading along. And so, I mean, did you worry when you, when you, did you set out to make it that late in there? Did you do it on purpose to change it up? Yes and no. That particular book started out as a contemporary romance, believe it or not, believe it or not. And I had this, this idea for the, the American moving to Ireland, working in her aunt's cafe, and she was going to find love. And I kept coming up with mystery ideas, mystery ideas, more mystery ideas. Um, Prior to that, I'd been a romance author. I'd written contemporary romance and uh, romantic suspense. But I had always intended on writing a mystery one day. It was just a matter of of finding the time, you know, to to be able to to juggle both genres. And this story just really did not, like the, the, the original hero that I'd picked for it, he was just meh. I mean, we could just forget him. So... At the start of NaNoWriMo in 2016, I scrapped the original idea completely. I just started from page one and I started writing the story that I wanted to tell. And I didn't initially set out to have the murder at the end of the first act, but as I was writing it and I had, I knew who was going to be the, the murder victim, I thought, you know, she's so awful that I don't want to just kill her and not have her on the page. Because that's the problem when you have the murder right at the start. And, and one, of the, one of the things about cozy mysteries that we all love, both in books and in cozy mystery TV series, is the fact that the victim is generally not somebody nice. It's somebody we kind of hate or love to hate. And if the murder happens too soon, then you kind of miss that, if that makes sense. It, it totally does. You do. Yeah. So... Yeah. For book one, I kind of, I rolled with it and I figured, you know, I have nothing to lose. This is my first cozy mystery. 
I have no experience of writing in this genre before. People will either enjoy it or they won't. And if it doesn't work out, then, you know, I reinvent. I had already done that a number of times with my romance books. So I figured I had nothing to lose. And yeah, I really enjoyed it. So yeah. And you've got 649 ratings on Amazon <laughs> with four and a half stars for the average. So I think that people, and, and have you ever had anybody complain never, about the fact? Never. And it's so funny you bring this up because only the other day I was chatting to another cozy mystery author about when to place the murder because she was feeling pressure in her work in progress to get the murder in really fast. And she said, but you know, it's really sad because my background story for this person, he's so awful. I really want him on the page. And I said, just, just put him on the page. Um, I want to say as well, like I've, I've written six books in this series and in some of them, you get a murder much earlier, either first page, end of first chapter. Um, I have had others where it happens later. In fact, in book six in the series, the murder victim is so brilliant that I absolutely had to keep her in the story for longer. And she didn't die until the halfway point. And nobody has complained. Not one person has complained. So I think, I think that the advice to get a corpse in fast is it's not without merit. I think that it's important to have something exciting that hooks the readers. It can be a different inciting incident, like hook them into another mystery that your character is involved in. It can be like the beaver murder victim. Like say, for example, you've got more than one murder victim in the story. Then yeah, you can start with a corpse and then work up to killing the interesting character later on. So I think there's plenty of ways that we can sort of play with this trope and uh, really own it and make it our own. Yeah, I mean, I agree 100%. In my cozies, I'm, I'm on my third one. Um, there are no murders. Yeah, yeah. There, it's a, and I didn't even realize they were cozies. I thought they were just mysteries. Mm -hmm. um, but it's, it's the no cursing, um, no sex, no blood. Um, it's not a small town. It's different town, different state in every book, different country. Um, but yeah, they, and then, and nobody so far has said, Hey, wait a minute, there's no murders. Yeah. <laughs> My feeling is that for some of these nuances, uh, authors care an awful lot more than readers do. Readers want a good story. And if you're delivering and they're not complaining, then you're doing your job right. Certainly you are. You are. Now, you know, talking about six murders and Maggie comes to this little whisper. What, what, what's it's whisper? Whisper Island. Whisper yeah, Island. The, I started yeah. to say Cove. Whisper Island. So at one point they, in the very, and when they're trying to figure out who the murderer is and the police sergeant says, only tourists kill, <laughs> you know, no, yes. none of the locals kill. And I'm thinking <laughs> six books. And if there's six murders and they all take place in whisper, in Whisper Island, are the, are the locals starting to think that Maggie's bad luck because nothing bad has happened to this island until she arrived? Well, there is a running gag about her being a dead body magnet. And when I was originally planning the series, once I, I decided that this book one was not just going to be a standalone mystery, it was, it was going to be part of a series, it was important to me to make sure that I didn't have, you know, the so-called Cabot Cove syndrome where, you know, in, in uh, Murder, She Wrote, where there's this tiny town and there's so many corpses piling up. It's like murder, murder capital of the US. It was important to me that that not be the case. So not every single murder has happened on the island. The island is in a, in a little 
um, cluster of islands. So there are a couple of other islands where murders happen. And it's also quite close to the, to the mainland. So a couple of the murders actually happen there as well. But it's connected to the Whisper Island crowd. And that's how I can sort of play with that. Yeah, yeah. And then, yeah, then it's, yeah, I remember the, the murder she wrote. And it's like, yeah, I remember my dad saying, <laughs> I don't want to visit this town. Yes. It's absolutely scary. <laughs> so how, how long have you been? How long have you been writing? Because this isn't your only series. No, it's not. Yeah. Um, well, if we, if we scale it right back to the start, I started telling stories when I was a kid and playing with my Barbie dolls and stuff like that because I was an only child. And I used to create these elaborate, basically soap opera style plots for my Barbies. And I would get really excited. Like each weekend when I was home, I could play out these, these uh, storylines. But I didn't actually write down any stories until I was in my teens. And at that stage, it was just it was the usual teen angst stuff. It, it wasn't anything that you would consider genre or commercial fiction. That came later. And when I was in my early 20s, I moved to Germany for postgrad studies. And because I was doing, I was writing papers in German and I was learning in German all day, I was speaking German all day, writing in English became a sort of a, a nice way to wind down before bed. So I would read romance novels, I would read mysteries in English, and I started writing my own. And when I was originally starting out writing, this would have been, let's say, 2003 or so, there wasn't a robust online presence for places for writers to go. And I looked and I looked and I eventually found a couple of forums for romance writers. And they were, they, they were and still are extremely giving in terms of, of nurturing newer writers, um, sort of paying it back and paying it forward, depending on where they are in their careers. So I joined a couple of those. I joined RWA and one of their online chapters. And that was kind of how I got into the idea of writing a full length book. Now, I didn't manage it. <laughs> I didn't manage it for many, many, many years. I was doing this as a, a hobby and I was like the queen of the first three chapters. So I would have many books with the first three chapters polished, even entered contests and so on. And it wasn't until I had my second child that I decided I was taking a career break for a couple of years to raise the kids. And as I think many mothers can, can um, they can identify with it. I started to go stir crazy. So <laughs> I decided, well, you know, okay, my baby's teething and my toddler is throwing tantrums. So what better time than to sit down and do NaNoWriMo in November, 2009. And I did. I set my clock. I got up early each morning. And by the end of NaNoWriMo, I had 60,000 words of a truly terrible book, but it had a beginning and a middle and an end. And that really was, that was the, the time when it, it really clicked. Oh, I can do this. I can actually write a full book. It might not be a good book, but it's a book. And from that point on, I started to get a lot more serious. I submitted material and I got a stacked ton of rejections. Then I slowly started to get requests for full manuscripts. And then I, I went to the Romance Writers of America conference in 2011. And Maya Banks and Courtney Milan had a sort of unofficial workshop on indie publishing, because at the time it was very much hush, hush, hush. 
But in 2011, it was just on the cusp of people embracing it. So it was popular enough and people were interested enough that their conference or their workshop in the lobby was packed, like packed. There were more people at that workshop than there were in some of the official ones. And at that point, then I started to think, oh, you know, maybe that's an idea. So I went away from the conference. I ended up having another baby shortly after. So that sort of uh, delayed my progress slightly. But by 2014, I had three books in the same series written and ready to go. And I published them. And that's how I started. What, what series is that? That was the Bally Bag series. That's my very first series. It's a contemporary romance slash romantic comedy. And as the name implies, it's set in Ireland, in the small town. And uh, yeah, that was, that was a lot of fun to write. How many are in that series? Five. Oh, good. So yeah. then somebody, and, and are they, are, I think you have them on Kindle Unlimited, the books? They're not on Kindle Unlimited, but they are in, in Amazon, or they are uh, available in Kindle editions. They're wide, though. Yeah, they're white. Okay, well, that's okay. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, okay, so you've got, so, so around, you were there around the beginning then? Fairly shortly after. I press published in 2014. And at the time I was starting out, I thought, oh my God, I'm coming so late to this. Like everybody else has had such a head start. And now, you know, several years later, people are still coming in and, you know, it has not peaked and yeah. <laughs> no, no, it isn't. You know, it's something I forget what the numbers are for um, the amount of books that are published to Amazon every day. It's, it's a huge number of yeah. them, huge yeah. number. And, and I always remind my listening audience that are authors, this is why you have to have uh, a professional cover, a professional yes. edit, yeah. and it has to be written well. Just don't mm -hmm. write your book in NaNoWriMo and slap a, a homemade cover on it and put it on because the days of being able to do that and make a lot of money are long gone. That happened right when the Kindle came out. Yeah. Through about 2014. Probably, that's about the time yeah. That, yeah. That's about the time that, that it, you had to start, that, that, that all these people started publishing more. And, and, and uh, you know, that and people say, oh, you know, the print books are it's print and you shouldn't go with Kindle and, and you know, no, I mean, there's, there's all kinds of ways to read. There's all kinds of ways to listen. There's audio books. Um, I, I can put a book on my computer and have my computer read it to me. Exactly. You know, yeah. I mean, I, there, there's so many, um, there's so many ways to enjoy um, books that, you know, I, I don't like it when anybody disparages any of the versions, you know, of it. I, mean, I, I like paper books, but I also like my Kindle at night because my husband yeah. turns the light off and I want to be able to use my, I have that Kindle word, you know, it's, it doesn't have a bright light or anything. And, and then I wake up in the morning and I've got the Kindle still with me, you know, <laughs> oops. Oh, well, uh, but, but it's, it's, it's just a wonderful thing. I love the Kindle. Yeah. So do I. Yeah. It's fantastic. So you've got, do you have a large American audience because your books yes. are written in Ireland? Yes. I would say that my largest audience is still American. Yeah, it has <laughs> it's steadily grown though. Other other um, markets have steadily grown. I've seen, for example, a big jump in in Australia and New Zealand, and I, I say this for the vendors where I can actually see that because you can't see that information for each vendor where you where you sell your books. 
but yeah, that is definitely uh, noticeable. And, and I saw in, in Dial P for Poison in the very beginning, you have a list of terms that people who are not from Ireland may not be familiar with. And I yeah. didn't read it because I thought, I want to see if any of them really throw me for a loop. Yeah. Yeah. If I can't figure it out. And, I, and there was nothing that I saw that I couldn't figure out from the context. But do you Perfect. get any, does anybody ever complain that they no. don't, they can't follow? Never. No. It's funny because the, my decision to use American spelling conventions stems back from starting my career back in 2014, because at the time, the advice given to anybody who came, who was, who wrote in anything other than American spelling was make sure you publish your book with American spelling conventions, because otherwise you will get dinged by reviews. And that happened to friends of mine. So that sort of scared me, but it's something I've always had slightly mixed feelings about. And ideally I would like to have two versions, but at least the last time I checked, that was exceedingly, it was either not possible on most vendors or exceedingly difficult to do, where you'd have an American edition and a yeah, other cause edition. Because I, yeah. I looked at that too. Yeah. And, yeah. and it was, um, yeah. And, and, and that's a shame too, because there are yeah. so many other countries and so many other languages and to make everything be American English. And it's, uh, I, my husband was military, so you know, every time he was overseas, it was always, um, oh God, how did they say it? Do you speak American English or UK English? I think it yeah. was how they would put it yeah. all the time. Yeah. And, and to really just the real distinction. Mm -hmm. Yeah. And yeah, you're right. And the, the review people reviewing it will say, oh, you spelled it wrong. Yeah. You spelled yeah. all the words wrong. It's like, well, you know, <laughs> look at who the author is and look where they live, you know, before you go being all, all pissy and, and, and speaking of reviews, and I know the, the big thing is, is when authors are always told, never read your reviews. And I accidentally was on Goodreads because I realized that they had the wrong covers and they won't change them. They have the original covers and the covers have all been updated. They're all gorgeous Goodreads. and they won't change them. So Goodreads. I've kind of written off Goodreads. <laughs> but I accidentally saw some reviews and I'm like, wow, I have a ton of reviews. And of course, all of them are great except for one or two. Yeah. And which ones are you concentrating on? Those one or two, right? Those one or two. Yeah. yeah. But I, I was proud of myself, though, because I did have a review. We were talking about it in the show last week where the girl, my lead character, her arch nemesis is this guy, and, and they haven't spoken in 10 years. And the reason why they hadn't spoken is explained in the first book. And I had a review, a person write a review of it. It was just so lame. And I just laughed and laughed and thought, oh, that's perfect. And I used that in the next book. Okay, where perfect. she explains it to someone and they said, that's just so lame. She's like, wait a minute, you know, it's not lame. This is my life. And it made me angry. And so I, I thought that was fun. So, uh, but I, I try not to read reviews. Are you a writer that looks at your reviews or, or do you try to stay away from them? I read my reviews, but huge caveat. I pick my moments and I do it with a goal. For example, if I'm going in looking at reviews for a specific book, I'm doing it with my marketing hat on and my publisher hat on, not as an author. I understand this is, sometimes it's very difficult to really make that distinction and se separate the two halves, but I think it's important. And where reviews can be handy is looking for, looking for things that people say about your work and also looking for things that they're not saying, that they should be saying for your genre. 
I found it particularly useful when I jumped from romance into mystery because I had always had the feeling that there was something missing with my with my romance series and I was fully aware of the fact that my favorite romance books were older romance where you'd have like a huge big build-up and you'd have one sex scene and those were the kind of books that I loved to read and those were the kind of books that I loved to write and I came into it right when erotic romance was becoming a huge big deal and also spilling over into contemporary romance where the expectations for hotter, more frequent sex scenes was most definitely there. So when I was looking at my reviews, even the good ones, nobody was saying, oh, sizzling sex sexual tension, brilliant sex scenes. They were focusing on the humor. They were focusing on the mystery plots that kept sneaking into the books. So from that point of view, I was actually able to glean an awful lot of information from reading my reviews. I also continue to read my reviews for my mysteries now. Again, generally speaking, picking my moment, not when it's just been published, because that's a really bad time. You're very emotional and feel extremely attached to the book. Yeah. A little bit of distance is good. But again, it's, it's very good for me to see how are people responding to subsequent books in the series? Are they saying, oh, the earlier, word, earlier ones were better? I mean, of course, somebody always says that. But then you'll have other people saying, hey, this is the best one yet. So it's kind of looking where the balance are. Yeah. Yeah. Do you, do you think that those, or those reviews of your romances helped to make you decide that you wanted to write mystery? Yes. Yes. Because it showed me where... I kind of knew where my writing strengths lay anyway, but it was sort of a proof for me. Like it was underlying the issue that where I needed to concentrate was the humor, the comedic aspect, the developing the characters, friends and family and the mystery elements versus trying to force myself into writing more sex scenes that I wasn't interested in. And I have absolutely no problem with people having a, a ton of sex scenes in their books. That's absolutely not what I'm saying. I think it's awesome. And I have huge respect for people who can write several and make them really compelling and interesting. But frankly, it's not a talent I have. And I have to just own that and see, okay, well, if, if I'm not great at this, I am great at this. So I'm going to lean into it. And I love reading cozy mysteries. So it was, it was, no hardship for me to move into writing them as well. Yeah. 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 I, I agree with the, the sex scene thing that my mom, my, my mother has dementia. So okay. every time I see her, she's all, she knows I'm a writer. She remembers that. Yeah. And she's always asking me, why isn't there love in your books? <laughs> <laughs> so we have the same conversation over and over and over again. Uh, and and I, I always tell her because they're fast paced and there's no time. Yeah. Nobody has time to stop and have sex. They're too busy being chased or they're too busy trying to solve something. There's just no time. Yeah. And then the same, same conversation every time I see her every yeah. single time. So, so these do have romance, but it's a slow burn thing. Like something that develops over the course of the books and it's closed door. So it's, uh, yeah. it's much more of a focus on the, the emotional aspect. Yeah. Yeah. So yeah. you've got the, you've got the, the, it's six books, right? And six yeah, books. It's yes. Six books for the um, movie club mystery. <laughs> I'm like, mm -hmm. I'm going to say it wrong. I'm going to say it wrong. <laughs> um, are you planning on publishing more? How many books do you publish a year? 
Uh, very good question. I started out publishing a lot more and now I've moved down to one or two because that is that for me is sustainable. So ideally, I'd like to be able to publish three a year, but we'll see. At the moment, I'm working on a two year schedule. Yeah. Yeah. You know, if, I think if you write too much, it's it's absolutely exhausting and it it, it can it can just um, get you where you don't want to sit down at the computer. Yeah, well. I had a I had a three year period where I really I wrote a lot like I wrote four or five books a year and in 2017 I wrote six and I burned out. Yeah. yeah. So it was totally predictable, utterly preventable and I just ignored all of the warning signs and I burned out and then I ended up not writing anything for a year like nothing. Wow. And uh, I had then a two year gap. It was actually no it was was it even longer? It might have been two and a half years between published books. Um, but I did get back into the rhythm of writing and at a much more sane and sustainable pace. Yeah, it's, um, you know, I, I know they say you, you need to write every day and I don't. Nope. For me, because it's, it's, and I did for a while, uh, my last book, I was behind schedule and I joined a zoom group that I'm still part of every mm -hmm. day. We write from one till six Eastern time. Yeah. And, uh, in the morning I do marketing. Uh, and so every day for that first, like nine days, I wrote like actually 10 hours a day to finish up and to get my okay. book into yeah. the, the editor on time. Um, and then, um, I, was still doing that for a while. And then it just really just burned me out. So last week I had like, or earlier in this week, I forget the dip, what day it is even uh, earlier in this week, we had like three days, my husband and I just laid on the couch and watched TV and played puzzle word games and, you know, got takeout and did nothing. And it was absolutely wonderful. So do you, yeah. do you find yourself that you need to, do you have yourself on a set schedule or do you find that you just work until you have burnout and then take a couple of days off? I have to work on a schedule and my schedule is, is more or less around my kids' schedules at the moment right. because they're, they're still young and they're still in school. But what I try to do is I work into my schedule enough thinking time as in active thinking time, because I'm not somebody who can just sit down and write a book. I love people who can do it. It does not work for me. I need to have a very clear idea of what's happening in this scene or this chapter before I actually put my fingers on the keyboard. That is something that I've just learned as part of my process. I also do quite a bit of research. The series that I have two cozy mystery series and the second one is a time travel series. So I have the, the character going back in time. Basically, it, it's the, for book one is set in uh, 2019. And the premise is that a time traveler from 1919 ends up accidentally in her time period. And then in the second book, she ends up going back to his time period. So I had to do quite a bit of research around that. And that was, that was a lot of fun, particularly because it's a it's a very interesting period of Irish history because it's right around the time of the War of Independence. So there's a lot happening. It's just at the, just at the end of the, the First World War, start of the Irish War for Independence. And um, yeah, there's a, a lot of material that I can use for that. And is so, that series out yet? It is, yeah, the first one is out. The first one is called Deadline with Death. And 
that is book one in the time slip mysteries and book two will be out in October. I say, hopefully I'm currently, <laughs> <laughs> currently finishing it. But that uh, is, yeah, yeah. The oh, there idea. it is. Deadline with death. Okay. Yeah. And it, it, it is a cozy also. It's also a cozy. It's a cozy history. It's cozy historical contemporary mashup really. Yeah. Oh, I like yeah. that. <laughs> so that, that was a lot of fun, but those books most definitely take more research than the movie club mysteries do. So I have been allotting time for that, trying to slot in thinking time. And also, obviously, the, the words on the page business, which is tracking word count for me is the most important part uh, during the first draft process. And once I get on to revisions, I don't care about the number of words on the page. It's more like editing this scene or editing this chapter and making sure that that is tight. Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I'm glad to hear that you're an outliner. It's, yeah. um, I, I'm just very much, you need to outline. If you, I used to be yeah. a literary agent and I could tell you okay. the books and screenplays that came to me that were not outlined. I, I could tell just by reading them. Nope. This yeah. was not outlined. It was not, you know, it, yeah. and it's just so important. And I think it's Rachel Aaron, A-A-R-O-N, I think, yes. that, right, that has the book, um, 2000 to 10K. And she, right. she also, I mean, and I love that she pushes the outline. If you know what you're going to write before you sit down to write, you will be able to just cruise on through it. Yeah. yeah. Easily. Yeah. yeah. And, and, and that's, that's part of my problem, too, is, is with these, this, this, I, I don't outline enough. I mean, I have, my office is full of whiteboards. I probably mm -hmm. have like 10 whiteboards all over my office. My, my desk is a three, three desk corner and the, the whiteboards are all leaning against the walls and I carry them around and they're all full of the notes and things. Uh, but I tend to be a little impatient with these cozies mm -hmm. and I have kind of jumped in without having, you know, a real set middle beginning and the end very outlined. The middle, eh, yeah. it's not so much. Yeah. So, I mean, that's been my problem and I'm huge outline, outline, outline. And, uh, and I, even I, you know, even people who, you know, even I used to teach an outline class and, you know, like we're the worst, you know, you, you tell people to like a doctor, you know, <laughs> do this and, you know, don't look at me, but do this instead, you know, which is, um, which is uh, bad. You know, we should follow our own advice uh, that we give to others. So I, in, in my series, I, and I hate to give it away. I've got an Easter egg in my series and anybody who's a film goer knows the Easter eggs are, I hope I'm saying this right. They're little hidden messages, little secrets inside the film that are kind of a wink between the filmmaker and the audience and everybody gets them. And I, if I see a list, you know, 20 Easter eggs from such and such movie, I'll always bookmark it and mm -hmm. go watch the movie and come back. I don't want to look at it ahead of time because it's going to spoil the movie for me. Um, but in my series, in my, in my June Nash series, I've got an Easter egg in the series that like nobody's found. And I've been really surprised. <laughs> so do, and I'm not going to say what it is. Um, but it's like, I thought it was really simple. It was kind of fun, something that we did. And um, I've had no readers comment about it. Okay. It's like, okay, fine, whatever. <laughs> so do, do you have anything in your books that you've done like that? And did it work better for you? <laughs> I wouldn't necessarily say that I put an Easter egg in like you have described, but I, I have done things like used something that happened in my real life and 
friends or family will instantly say, oh, I know who that character really is. I know who you used to base that character on. I'll quickly say we have that lovely copyright disclaimer that, you know, everything is fictional. It's not based on real life events or people, etc., to protect us. But I mean, of course, you know, when you're writing, ideas come to you and oftentimes funny things or memorable things that happen to you or the people that you know are a great jumping off point. And by the time I've written the story, they don't bear an awful lot of resemblance to the actual event or the person, but uh, they're definitely, they're definitely in there. I mean, I can think of one example is in book three of the movie club mysteries. I have a very obnoxious American billionaire and I was not thinking of any American politician when I wrote that book. I swear everybody thought I was, it was based on a specific person. It wasn't. I had gone to so much trouble to disguise that guy's identity and made him a different nationality, etc. It was based on somebody I know in real life. But yeah, of course, everybody jumped to a different conclusion. So that was actually pretty, that was pretty amusing. Oh, that's funny. Has the person figured it out? Figured it out? No, the person is, is now deceased, but oh. it was, it was very, um, my family members figured it out pretty quickly. Yes. <laughs> Yeah, that's uh, yeah. As writers, you know, we pull stuff from from real life. And my husband's always saying to me, "If you didn't know me, you'd have nothing to write about." Yeah, <laughs> because uh, my my series came about. We were talking about this last week on the show. My my Joe Nash mysteries came about because of me taking care of his hundred plus snakes for a year while he oh was with goodness. NATO in in Izmir, oh, wow. Turkey. Yeah. <laughs> So, a hundred plus snakes. That's brilliant. Yeah. So there were there were like forty adults and like sixty babies because we would uh, he would breed snakes and we would take them to shows and sell them. Yeah. And he's gone for a year and you know and and I cared for these snakes and thought about ways to kill him for a year. (laughs) So. (laughs) That's brilliant. Yeah. So yeah. It's so you know I think it's it's. People, they know that if they know a writer, that something, things that happen are going to end up. And my niece said to me not too long ago, you should write about some of the members of the family, put them in your books. And I said, how do you know I haven't already, sweetie? (laughs) Brilliant. Yeah. So, um, so as you're, you're, you're in Switzerland. I am. Yeah. Now for your, for your. For your new series that you're doing that goes back in time, have you gone out to do research to travel to those spots? Yeah. Well, I studied history in university. That was my major. So I already knew quite a bit about the period to start with. But certainly the last two times I was back in Ireland, I went to archives and I made sure that I did research and I visited places and uh, made sure that I had a very good visual of where these places were because I'm a very visual writer. I, I have great respect for people who can just make up a place in their head. For me, my fictional towns are all based on places I've been. Sometimes they're an amalgamation of several places, but they are based on places that I've lived or been because um, it's, it's a great way for me to really get a picture of them in my head. So yeah, I'm very much a fan of research and I like getting little details that people might not otherwise know that are interesting and funny. 
because you don't want to slow down the pace of the book with a lot of boring historical information, which I personally find fascinating, but I can guarantee you that 99% of my readers will not. And you have to be accurate too, because yeah. you'll get that one person that was <laughs> that knows that did a paper on it or, or, or knows about it, and they will leave that review of that thing nothing is historically accurate and they'll they'll go yes. you know they'll, they'll be the far extreme yeah so that that's i mean that that's fun to be able to go and do that traveling i for one of my books i want my character she jokes about being she she drinks so she jokes about uh and when she drinks she gets friendly not in the i'll show you mine if you show me yours kind of way i think that's how i said it but in the hanging out with people she doesn't normally like like her mother Okay. So yeah. she, uh, she's afraid she's going to wake up on a month-long month -long riverboat, European riverboat cruise because <laughs> she's been drinking and invited her mother on one. And I said to my husband, oh my God, we have to do that. Yeah. We, we have to, I have to, because we, we were joking about the next three books in the series, where they're going to take place. And I had book five and six figured out, uh, four and five figured out, but not six. And he's all, you have to take, do that. He said, and we have to do it in real life. Yeah, And so I thought that will just be the best money ever spent researching mm -hmm. a book. Yeah. Ever, ever. So, I mean, do you have any, any ideas, any things like that, that would just be, I mean, that's going to be costly, but, but something that in mind that you would absolutely spend money on if it, if it was sort of <laughs> toward one of your books. Yeah, I, I'm also a huge travel fan. I love traveling places and our last family holiday was specifically picked, the location was specifically picked because I want to set a book there. <laughs> My husband knew this. He was like, that's fine. It's okay. Um, uh, yeah, so that for me is most definitely a good investment, sort of mixing travel for pleasure and travel for research. In terms of, of where I think that it's important to spend my money in, in my business, I, I started out, when I started publishing in 2014, having a developmental edit done on your book was unusual. Not everybody did that. I did it. I've always done it. I benefit hugely from investing in um, developmental edits slash content edits. For me as a writer, it's helped me to grow getting feedback, working on my story structure, working on my characterization, my plot arcs. So for me personally, that is an excellent investment in, in my career. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Definitely. Yeah. So, uh, so you've got the next book. What is the next book coming out? The next that book is, is going out. to be out in October and it's called Fatal Front Page and it's a time slip mystery. <laughs> Oh, that's fantastic. That's fantastic. So tell people really quickly again, what your series are and where they can find you. If we're focusing on the cozy mystery series, it's oh, all the movie them. club mysteries. All throw them all okay. in there. Yeah. Because okay, perfect. Yeah. Then I have a contemporary romance series slash romantic comedy series called the body bag series. And that has five books. I have a romantic suspense series also set in body bag called the body bag bad boys. That is five novellas. And I also have two books in a romantic suspense series set in Dublin called The Triskelion Team or The Dublin Mafia. Uh, and then for the cozies, I have The Movie Club Mysteries. Those ha that series has six full length books and one novella. 
and the Time Slip Mysteries currently has one book out and we'll have a second one out in October. Fantastic. And, yeah. and you have a website. I do. It's zarakeen.com. And uh, I'm also on Facebook. I have a Facebook page and I'm on Instagram as well. Fantastic. And I'll have the links in the show notes for everybody so they can find you. And uh, I think if, if they join your mailing list, they get um, free story. Yes, they do. They get a free movie club mystery novella. And if they all, and depending what, uh, a couple of emails later, they also get the option to have a free romance too. Yeah. Nice, nice. Okay, so <laughs> I'll, I'll have those down in the show notes and everybody Perfect. drop down there. Yeah, take a look, click on that link. And um, that is, it was great to talk to you. And um, well, thank you so much. Yeah, thank you for coming on. And uh, I, I, I'm sure I'll have you back on again uh, when you have the next series because the time travel one I'm going to take a look at next. Okay. Because I love time travel. I love fish out of water stories. Yes, so and, do I. Um, so do I. <laughs> yeah, and that just um, that is just my favorite thing. Uh, and so I, I would love to look at that one. And is that one that you plan on? Is you have the first one out, but you have the next one coming out exactly. in October. Yes. And that how you plan on write five or six books for that one? Exactly. Yeah, I have I have rough ideas for I have clear ideas for the first four, and I have rough ideas for five and six. No, oh, fantastic. Yeah. <laughs> fantastic. Okay. Thank you so much. Thank you, Melissa. Bye. There were a couple of things that I didn't get a chance to talk to her about. And one of them was to mention that in the back of Dial P for Poison, there is the recipe for the drink that they're all drinking when everything goes downhill. And it's called a, let me look, peppermint cream cocktail. And the ingredients are in there. Sounds delicious. I cannot wait to try it. I need to uh, add the ingredients to my grocery list. If it was normal times, I'd go hit a bar and hand the bartender the little list and say, make me this. But who knows when the world will be ready for us to all go back out into it. We'll see. So what was the other one? Oh, okay. So the other one was her other series, Deadline with Death, uh, a time slip mysteries book. If you like fish out of water, like me, Time travel is like one of my favorite, favorite genres to read. And she does this series and it's also cozy. But th let me read this first line because this will get you hooked. Uh, the first line is, the morning the clown croaked at my feet began with a cockfight and ended with a corpse. That's a great line. I absolutely love it. So that will be uh, one of the next ones that I read when I finish what I'm currently working on. And, uh, you know, I always need new books. So if you have any recommendations, you can drop down to the show notes and click on that comment link. You can comment. It'll take you over to our YouTube channel. You can comment there. Or if you're on YouTube already, you know what to do. And that's it for this time. Um, I'll see you next week. Oh, wait a minute. Uh, we're also on Instagram. I always forget to mention that. Instagram books, I think it's underscored cubes or book, booked books cubed. <laughs> I know the name of the show. So you can check us out there and leave any recommendations or comment on the show in general. And that's it. I will see you next time. Go read a good book. Mm -hmm.